welcome to the Watch and Learn Show, where we talk about life lessons we learn from movies new and old, and we have a bit of fun along the way. And now, here's the host, Sky and Dusty. Hey, hey, Movie Maniacs. My name is Sky, and I'm joined by my brother, Dusty. Dusty, have you ever, I don't think we've ever discussed this, did you ever, when we were growing up, ditch a full day of high school? I want to say, I know I've ditched classes, like a certain Mm -hmm. class, like, oh, I don't want to be here, so I'm going to leave. But I don't remember actually ditching the entire day, probably, though. But how about you? Um, From what I remember, I've done it, I think, three times. Once, I stayed at home to intercept a progress report that had a bad grade on it, and I intercepted it. And, you know, I brought up the grade, so mom and dad never knew. The second (laughs) time was I went to Monterey with Richard. Remember, Richard, I went to Hawaii with him back in eighth grade? Sure do. The third time was, I think, me, Brad, Ben, maybe Mark, maybe Dave, too. We went to Pismo for for the day. No, that's a great, great yeah. plan. I don't remember yep. you staying home to intercept that. I didn't know no, about the progress report. That's funny. Well, I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually fake being sick? Like, uh, uh. I can't recall the details. I just remember staying home the entire day, um, just being upstairs in the bedroom. And at one point, dad came home with Greg and they got lunch or something. And I was just upstairs being quiet. And then once they left, I could now you know, make noise once again, you know? (laughs) So you, they didn't know you were home? Nope, they didn't. (laughs) I was just upstairs. I was just upstairs in my bedroom being nice and quiet, you know, hoping they wouldn't come up. And why would they? I mean, dad never came upstairs. Yeah. Their bedroom is downstairs. They were just a lunch break. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, for, for me, I think there was a times I I wouldn't got donuts or, you know, just, just, "Eh, I don't want to be here. Let's go do something. I'll just go hang out. Um, there was one class where the guy, he was, he's smart. But it just seemed like he was just being so lackadaisical, the teacher. Mm. And so what we would do, we'd sit in there, he'd take roll, and then we would literally sneak out like five minutes later and be really? gone the entire time and not be there. And so he, I know he's smart. I know he's just like, ah, whatever, these kids, stupid kids. Uh, yeah. But he was super cool. Like, we still got a decent grade. Even yeah. We did it at least out of an entire semester. I want to say like five, six times, if not more. Wow. Like it was like almost er- – it might have been more than that because it felt like every day. Let's go. Hey, let's go. <laughs> let's go. That's and interesting. I, so yeah. he was like, he was like the teachers that we see in Ferris Bueller's, right? You see Ben Stein is the first teacher. You see some other old gray haired dude. And they obviously don't care about teaching. They don't care that their message is being delivered, that their students are learning. They're just up there reciting the same old lesson they've done for years in the past. And they sound super boring. So that's what this teacher was like. He's not necessarily like that. He just knows, hey, these guys are high school seniors and I'm just teaching. It was probably something like, I want to say like social sciences or something like they they don't need to know this. Like it's not that big of a deal as long as they're, you know, passing the grades or passing the tests and all that sort of stuff. Passing the test. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's why I was like, hey, this guy, I know he's smart. He's super smart. And he just, he wasn't so lackadaisical. He just like, I I think he's like, eh. Oh well, you know they're seniors. Whatever, it's not not this is not gonna make them like literally flunk or not flunk. Um, uh, get fired from every single job. Like they're 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 gonna be fine. This is just you know be seniors being seniors. He was that type of teacher. Just a really gotcha. cool like laid back guy. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Um, going through you know high school and even in college, did you have any boring teachers like we saw in this movie? No, I don't remember any like that. And um, what was interesting when I was I was actually reading like all the 
things that they talk about. Like go to IMDb and you could click on all the facts or like the, the things that you'd want to just read about fun, fun trivia about the, the movie. And apparently Ben Stein was um, uh, in a roundabout way just selected by the uh, Hughes. Howard, is it Howard Hughes? Is that? No, that's not his name. No, uh, well, he's Hughes is his last name. You're talking about the director? Director, yeah. What was John his name? Hughes. John Hughes. John Hughes. Yeah, apparently like, Ben Stein knew Richard Nixon, and then th- then around about way, Richard Nixon suggested to somebody else, and then somebody else, and eventually went to um, John Hughes, and then found Ben Stein. And he's like, "You're perfect for this," and that was, I think, just majority of that. Like he, when he's actually teaching, you know, the voodoo or no something o o economics, voodoo economics. Like that's literally his, his content. He's literally teaching that because that's what he has done in the past. They didn't write that out. The only thing they wrote out was Bueller. Bueller. So the rest of it was literally ad-libbed, but no, I did not have any teachers like that. How about you? No, I didn't. Thankfully. I mean, at at least all the way through high school, every teacher seemed to be really interested in getting the students to learn and pay attention. Um, One teacher though, my Spanish teacher, she seemed to hate teaching Spanish, not, not hate teaching Spanish, but she didn't want to deal with all of us not wanting to learn it. So it was really easy to pass that class because the tests were super simple, the speech tests were really easy. Um, I think I think she she was maybe the only teacher that really didn't care if the students learned or not. <laughs> it was probably like, what's the word for library? Oh, biblioteca! Yeah, exactly. I got it. I yeah. got it. A. <laughs> That's what it was. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. But other than that, everyone else—science teachers, math teachers—they they really did care that the students would learn. You know. Oh, that's that. Yes, I agree. Now going through this movie again. Uh, I haven't watched it for a good at least 10, 15 years. Really, really enjoyed it all over again. Laughed all over again. Caught things I didn't really catch before. You know, I just was like, oh, wow, like I, I didn't get that. Or at least I get it differently now because, you know, being yeah. older now from the last time I watched it. But thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. What about you? Uh, fully, fully enjoyed it as well. And this uh, movie came out in 86. So I, I guarantee we saw it probably not in theaters, but we probably mom, mom probably rented it, you know, the month that it came out because she was always renting movies and stuff. So 86 means you were only seven years old when this came out. I was nine years old, but I guarantee we saw it at the time. And um, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it then. And still, it's one of my most recommended movies. I mean, if somebody says, what movie should I watch from the 80s? I've never seen an 80s movie. Ferris Bueller's got to be near the top of the list for sure. Man, that's a good answer to that question. Like, what movie should I watch? Obviously, they're gonna, people are going to say, like, Breakfast Club or, you know, I mean, uh, 16 Candles. I don't remember 16 Candles. I don't remember watching that one. But, like, Breakfast Club is a big one. But those are John Hughes movies, too. Like, John Hughes was, like, the epitome of 80s movies. Uh, brilliant, brilliant director. 80s high schooler drama comedies. My goodness. And apparently... This movie, he wrote it in like six days, like the whole script. He wrote it really, really wow. quickly. Um, and there's so many other different parts of the – as we're going through, I remember I, I almost read through all the trivia because it was fun because you're reminiscing. You're thinking of all the fun things that you just saw or because I was literally watching at the same time. Like, okay, I know I could read a little bit at this moment, so I read a little bit. And then it's just so much fun. Uh, reminiscing all like the eighties and all that sort of stuff. It was a really, really fun movie to watch. And yeah, this is something that you would absolutely recommend anybody if they've never seen, or they, they, you want them to get to know eighties. This is a great, great movie for it. For sure. For sure. What about if I asked you, Dusty, I've never seen an eighties action movie. What eighties action should I watch? The Rambo. 
no, sorry. Oh, Rambo yeah. or for me, it's really Commando. I'd have to say Commando is my movie, but Rambo is one of them too. But Commando is like top notch. How funny. I have the exact same idea. Commando is it. That was the first one that came to mind. hundred <laughs> percent. When I said that. Rambo, I was like, wait, that's wrong. No, it's Commando. Yeah. I just yeah. it came out Rambo. Um, yep. But yeah, Commando, that's like the epitome. Like literally one guy taking on an entire nation of army, like army yeah. nation and one guy and not even getting shot one time, maybe one time yeah. when the bad guy finally shots the main bad mm-hmm. guy shoots him. Yeah. At the very end, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a classic like eighties movie where the ultimate bad guy is a total like trope. Like he's a total caricature, you know, in that, how can that guy fight against Arnold? I mean, we'll talk about commando eventually, but when you look at that bad guy, I can't remember his name, but the big old mustache and he looks kind of fat and flabby. How is he going to take on commando? Come on. And the, one of the coolest names I've ever heard is Matrix. His name is, is Matrix. I'm like, what? I wanted to name our son Matrix, but Melissa said no. I'm like, come on. That's that's like that's up there with like uh, Magnus or uh, yeah. like you know, it's 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 a it's a, a solid name. Like, yo, dude, your name's Matrix. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when you're named Matrix, you have to grow into that. You can't be. Um, a uh, 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 geeky, uh, what is it? The the geeky teenager in uh, Steve the Simpsons Urkel. with that or kind Steve, of name, or Steve yeah. Urkel. You just can't be. No, you have to grow into a big buff. You have to basically be uh, Dolph Lundgren by the time you're f- fourteen with that name. Like I, I thought quickly, and I quickly dismissed it of naming my son Jeeves, but I knew what his occupation would be, and I said, no, I'm not going to name my kid Jeeves. <laughs> no, 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 no way. Yeah, but you did choose some good names, Elias and Xander. Yeah, yeah. Alexander, right? Alexander. Yeah, Yeah. short for Xander. But (laughs) going through watching this movie brought back so many memories of not just like the movie and watching the movie, just being back in the 80s. So it's always fun going through. But I do have to ask, do you miss going to the movie theaters now? Right now, literally, we're on lockdown. Everybody knows about the coronavirus. And we don't normally talk about things going on. But um, the coronavirus is going on. We can't go to movie theaters, which I am bummed. Like, I just I enjoy going to movie theaters. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Loving the theaters. Uh, when there's a good movie out, I always want to go see it in the theater. I don't want to wait till the DVD, especially if it's a sci-fi or a big action thing where you've got to see it on the big, big screen. But I'm kind of thankful. I mean, we can't go to the theater, so all of the movie companies, of course, are not releasing their movies. So we're going to get them eventually. But I am jonesing to go back, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. So when you think of this movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, what is one scene? Now, it doesn't have to be your favorite scene. But if I say, hey, Sky, tell me about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What's your first thought? Like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind about this movie? Him seeing on the float in the parade. That's always number one. Absolutely. Yeah, what about you? Oh, that's number one. The, the quick second, like literally right after the that. The visual of that. Yeah, the visual of that. Right, the second one is Cameron kicking the Ferrari. That there is like... I can't get that out of my brain. Like that is so traumatic when he's mm-hmm. kicking it. And then you're realizing he's going to get destroyed by his dad. Oh my goodness. So th- both of those two things are really in my brain, just geared, uh, seared in my brain. Yeah, 100%. And you just mentioned him kicking the Ferrari. We always talk about our favorite scene in the movie. This movie's full of comedy, full of really cool parts, seeing beautiful, you know, art museums and seeing Chicago and stuff. But that is my favorite scene when he actually learns to step up and take on the fear and he's going to actually confront his dad. We kind of hope so, right? He might change his mind and back down at the last minute, but they kind of play the music at that scene when he says, I'm going to confront my dad and talk to him about this. 
you know that he's going to do it and he's changing his life for the better. Like this one day, Ferris's day off, uh, uh, I think turned Cameron around for the better in life. I, I, I like that you bring that up because you brought this up usually in, in plenty of movies is character arcs and changing in the characters actually changing. And a lot of people around Ferris Bueller changes. He doesn't, he literally doesn't change. He's a still same guy. Um, but a lot of people change like his sister literally changes because of him. Well, not just because of him. She had a one track mind, but then meets Charlie Sheen and then he helps her, which in fact, I'll quickly quick trivia. He, uh, I read, he literally stayed up for 48 hours straight or as best he could for 48 hours straight to make himself look that disheveled, his eyeballs bulging out all red, all like that. And he pulled it off. He was fantastic. Love that. Success. Success. For sure there. But yeah, so everybody around Cameron changed. Even his girlfriend changed a little. And I wouldn't say you don't really notice it, but it does seem like she grew up just a little bit. Um, yeah. uh, even though she did feel like she was already a little bit mature, she grew up a little bit. Cameron definitely changed. Um, her sis, his sister definitely changed. The principal definitely, I, I don't know if he's necessarily changed. He's on the path to changing because of all the bad mistakes that he's done. And so yes. the people around him change because of his actions and what he does. Yeah, he affects everybody around him, and it seems to be in a pretty positive light. And one of the interesting things about this, I never thought about this in all the previous times watching it, but Sloane isn't, she's not just his girlfriend. She's like an accomplice. She's a sidekick. She's involved in the prank. She gets on the phone and asks for him at the, at Shea Louis, you know I mean? It's pretty cool seeing how this time all three of them are working together to pull off this whole day off together. And I, I just noticed it this time in all the prior watchings. I just kind of thought, Oh, that's his girlfriend right there. And she's tagging along, but no, no, she's not tagging along. She's a willing participant and an active participant. And I really liked I, I like the fact, like you said earlier, you noticed some new things. That's a new thing in this one that I noticed. Yeah, yeah, all three of them. Like, you're right. For, I and mean, we could obviously tell when Cameron's on the phone the first time. It's kind of like, oh, wow, he's talking to the principal. Oh, no, it's Cameron. You know, it, it's just really, really fun to see that. And then you see his girlfriend, who is not nervous about calling on the phone or playing a part or whatever. You know, she they're like, you know, three peas in a pod and they go really, really well together. So it's really fun. Now, I do like how Ferris has everything so well planned out and everything works out perfectly. And that's, it's Ferris Bueller's day off. Like it's, everything works out so, so well, every single step away. But there's so many things that could have gone wrong that should have, but they didn't. But because we're watching a fun movie, it was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. I agree with you 100%. I liked every single minute of it. Uh, didn't didn't turn away once, didn't pause the video, didn't get to go to the bathroom, just sat there and watched it. And took so notes, it, of course. Is there one quote that when you think of Ferris Bueller's Day Off that comes to your mind? Because there's absolutely one that comes to my mind. Hmm. Not one particular quote, but I'm interested in yours. So... Two different times, Ferris Bueller says this. It's one in the intro when he's talking about everything, and one at the very end. He says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. That is a brilliant line. And in fact, you probably, I'm, I'm not even going to ask you because you probably won't remember, but that's also said in another movie. Do you know which movie it was? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> it is Demon Knight. The <laughs> Tales from the Crypt. Seriously. Yep. The Tales from the Crypt. With Jada Pinkett before she was Jada Pinkett Smith. Exactly. Really, I I actually really enjoy that movie, even though it's about demons and stuff. It's a fun story. Like, it's really, really entertaining. But that quote or that line stuck with my brain 
And I think this movie is what caused me, I'm not caused, it brought out the inner rebel in me. Like, that's just how I am. I love everything about it. It's like, man, I would do that. Man, I would do that. Probably, I would think I would. But that quote stuck in my brain. You know, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. As I'm 40 years, I'm literally 40 years old now. My goodness, 40 years went by so stinking fast. I look back, once you start having kids, actually, once you get out of college, it moves a little faster. In college, it moves kind of slow because you're like, oh, it's college. But when you get done with college, you're looking back and like, wow, that moved pretty quick. But then you get out of college, you start, you know, just living life out of college. That moves quicker. Then you get married. It moves quicker. Then you have kids. Oh, my goodness. Then it moves so fast. And so because that quote, that statement, that thought stuck in my brain from this movie got me to be a rebel and say, I better live my life the way I want. When I heard it in Demon Knight, I was like, oh, I know that's from Ferris Bueller. That's so awesome. So what do you think about that quote, that life moves pretty fast. You need to stop around, stop once in a while and take a look so you don't miss it. I love it. I completely agree. 100% really good life lesson right there. That was one of the ones I wrote down when you asked the question, the, the, the quote just didn't come to mind. But yeah, for sure. Loving that quote. Now, in Demon Knight, which, which character said it? I, it was... Um, I want to say if if I it's been a while since I've seen it. I just remember it being in it. I want to say it was the um, the devil, like the the, uh, the oh, demon, sh- Billy Zane, Billy Zane, yeah, oh, Billy Zane, yeah, uh, Billy Zane. I love that guy. He's he's up there for me. He's up there with Bal- uh, Val Kilmer. Like I, I love. I think Billy Zane's fantastic. I wish he was in more yeah. movies. Um, but I think it was Billy Zane that said it, and it just stuck in my brain too. Yeah. So That's because weird. of the idea of number one, being a rebel, you know, not doing what everybody's telling you to do, which I love that idea. Um, I'm not a lemming. I'm not a sheep. I'm not somebody that just follows the crowd. Um, in fact, oh, so yeah, I was you at do tr- stop at every red light, don't you? No, I don't. Oh, I, you don't anymore? No. Good. I learned from you. I was like, shoot, Sky doesn't stop at red lights. Why in the world should I? Well, yep. to, to help Good. everybody understand, <laughs> Sky, I want Sky to create a video or write a book or something called offensive driving instead of defensive driving it should be offensive driving so basically when you're sitting at a red light and there's literally no it's like midnight you're driving home there's no you look both every single direction why in the world am i still sitting at this stupid red light and i'm there's nobody i don't see anybody let me go ahead and go i do that all the time especially when i look behind me and i don't see any cops and i sit, look in front in front of me and I don't see any cops. I'm like, left or right? Okay, we're good. Turn. Because left or right, they're not going to know that it's not a re- it's not a green light for you. So it's Absolutely. just the people behind you. So all that to say, I don't follow that rule. But okay, so getting back to that thought of being, stopping and looking around, like life moves really fast. Here's my thought. If anybody listening to this podcast and watching this on YouTube, so everybody, if you want to watch this on YouTube, see Sky and I, you know, me flailing my hands around and us having a lot of good time. You go to the watchandlearnpodcast.com forward slash YouTube. You can see all of our YouTube episodes. So in thinking about that, I decided, you know what? I don't want to work a job for 40 years. See, when you work a job, and here I'm going to go on my, uh, my uh, successfully unemployed rant. So when you work a job and you go to college, you get a job, you're automatically signed up to a 40 by 3 plan. So 40 by 3 plan is basically you work 40 hours a week, and you work that for 40 years, you work that over and over again, 40 hours a week, and then you retire on 40% of the income that you used to make and hope to make a living or hope to still live in it. So that's 40 by three plan. And I thought, 
I don't want to do that. So at 37 years old, actually, you beat me. I think you were 36 when you when you stopped working and you were on your own. Um, for me, I was 37 years old when I quit my job because I started investing in real estate. So I created a podcast to help other people be rebels like us, not working a J-O-B, that just over broke job, working a nine to five, just over broke job. I created successfully unemployed. So if anybody listening wants to either YouTube or, or on podcasts, I created successfully unemployed to show all of us rebels like Ferris Bueller to realize that there's so many other ways to make money than working that nine to five, just overbroke job. And we need to not follow everybody else. So in that going along with the idea that life moves really fast, if you don't stop around and look around, well, if you're working 40 hours a week for 40 years, you can't, it's really hard to do that. If you don't have a job, it's so much easier to do that. I love being able to stop and look around. So man, yeah, I just, I just love being able to show so many people with successful unemployed podcasts that literally there is there are hundreds and thousands of ways to make money than working a just overbroke job. For sure there are. I agree with you 100%. You and each uh, you and I have each found a few different ways and we're uh, being successful at that for sure. I agree. Now, getting back to uh, uh, Ferris Bueller's day off, I want to say one thing that really stood, you know how we're watching this, we're thinking of life lessons, we're thinking of a prop to take away. My Monday morning quarterback hit me like a ton of bricks as soon as I saw it. The size of that dog door at the Bueller house is the biggest thing ever. Anybody can crawl in or out. I know you got a giant Rottweiler, but come on. No, you should never have that big of a dog door. No human being, not even like a five or six-year-old, should be able to fit through your dog door. Terrible choice. So that's your Monday morning quarterback? That's a, that is. That is. Yeah. <laughs> that's a brilliant one. That's a brilliant one. Um, so I actually did not, I could come up with a Monday morning quarterback cause I didn't come, I didn't think of one cause there were so many. Now it wasn't there are. Ferris Bueller, like Ferris Bueller didn't really have many Monday morning quarterbacks because everything works out. It's when they don't work out. That's easy to come up with a Monday morning quarterback for me. Really the Monday morning quarterback is have that self-realization of like Cameron. I'm talking speaking specifically Cameron, have that self-realization for yourself be other than destroying the Ferrari, other than destroying, like you can have that self-realization and say, I must take a stand. I'm going to do this. And obviously he's letting out so, like years and years of frustration, um, which is rather, uh, it's sad, but I mean, literally that's that you destroyed a car. You're going to have to pay. That. So with going a couple hundred miles over the speedometer, you're going to say, Hey dad, I took a car out for a spin. That's going to get you destroyed. So that alone, let alone crashing and destroying the Ferrari. So my opinion, my money more quarterback is don't even kick. The, actually, no, my money more quarterback. If you're going to kick it, kick it. Yeah, you can do that. I literally thought every single time he kicked, I was like, take out of the, take it out of, take it out of gear, take it out, take off the gas, like literally turn it off, then kick the crap out of it. That, so that was my money more quarterback is take it off the gas and take it out of gear, then beat the crap out of it. Gotcha. For sure. I agree with you 100% right there. The second idea I had was everything Dean Rooney did in the movie. Just do the opposite, buddy. You're screwing up left and right with everything right there. And don't make it a mission to really bust some little kid. I mean, he's just a kid. He's a high schooler. He's going to be out of your hair within the next two months or so. You know, this is like supposed to be the end of the school year or whatever. He's going to be gone soon. You don't have to make it your mission to ruin this kid. So couple things. Um, I can wholeheartedly agree with that. It's so much fun watching, watching him, the pre- principal go through so much. I mean, that, that was like, it's cringeworthy. Like, Oh, it's gonna, Oh no, that's so embarrassing. Or that's yep. so bad. Now, a couple of thoughts about this. Now, 
my wife brought this up, Melissa brought this up, and I wanted to ask you, is Ferris Bueller and his sister, are they twins? I think so. Okay. But, but he, that's just she my has, guess. Because that's the only way for her to still go to school and him to be a senior and them to be at the same place and be a part of all that. Because I was like, and her to have a car and he just got a computer. If he was the older one, he'd be the one with the car driving her around as necessary. So, so it has to be that they're twins or Mm -hmm. they're in the same age because she, if she's a senior, she'll be in college. She wouldn't care. Like she's gone. So why would she even have this? So that's the one thought. So I think they're twins, or at least that's the only thing that helps the story. Now, along with getting back a little to the Ferrari, what was really, really neat, obviously when we see that Ferrari get destroyed, like literally get destroyed, like, dude, they actually did that. But what they did was they didn't destroy that Ferrari. They made three replicas out of fiberglass. And uh, I can't remember what type of chassis that it was on, but they made three replicas of it and destroyed that one. Um, I love the scene. It's of the road, just a big open road, and you can see the skyline and all of a sudden you hear like, I can't remember what type of music the it Superman is. Like, theme Superman song. theme. And you see it take off the car flying through the air. I was like, that is brilliant. That's a brilliant shot. Like you, yeah. and you see their faces. Yeah. As they're, I loved that. That was, if I think of um, the car, my brain thinks of that, not of any, even kicking all that sort of stuff. I get that, but I go right to, they had so much fun driving that for 200 miles around the whole t- city. I know. Crazy, man. Um, And the whole idea that leaving your car in a parking lot, uh, a valet parking lot, you're hoping it's going to be treated nice. But, man, these are just regular dudes that are getting paid as cheap as possible, right? If it's their lunch break, they're going to have some fun on their lunch break in your car for sure. He says, relax, man. I'm a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Professional what? Yeah, that's right. Professional what? Yeah, exactly. A lot of other – there's so many fun things in the trivia. So – why do you think they did not create a part two? Because this was a pretty big, like a big deal movie. Uh, maybe Matthew Broderick didn't want to do it or John Hughes didn't want to. That might be the only thing. Uh, did you learn something about it? What it said, and it, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Matthew Broderick. It could have been John Hughes because he didn't make another Breakfast Club or he didn't make, but he did make Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, Home Alone 3, Beethoven 1, Beethoven 2, Beethoven 3, Beethoven 4, Beethoven 5. Like, so he's done that in the past. Wait, he made all the Beethovens? Yes. Yes. He even made Curly Sue. Well, I mean, so while we're talking, I could pull it up. He's he's a brilliant storyteller back in the 80s um, and 90s. But what was interesting was that Matthew Broderick said, that it was literally standalone, meaning it was a it was a specific time for a, a movie for a specific time and a specific time in Ferris Bueller's life. Like you could maybe do college, but then who's you know college skipping school, you know, or job wise or something like that. But he was like, no, I don't want it. It's such a good movie on its own to make a sequel is not going to be beneficial. It'll actually make it detrimental, is what he was thinking. Yeah, makes total sense to me. Unless you could just find the the perfect writer to write the perfect story. But this was such a big hit. And so, so um, uh, I don't know what, memorable in everyone's eyes and everybody loves the movie. To make a sequel really could just detract from the whole, uh, I don't know what the word is, just from everyone's experience of the first movie. You know, it's like when you watch Ghostbusters 2 and you just, oh, you love the first one, the second one comes out and it's kind of a letdown, you know? It's that kind of feeling. You don't want to, and you don't want to be a part of letting down the audience like that too. 
And there were quite a few different other actors mm-hmm. that were considered, like even Tom Cruise was considered mm-hmm. for the part, and other other um, uh, people were considered for the part. What was actually really interesting, um, you remember Weird Science? That was a really, really fun movie, that, you know, back 80s, 80s movie. Bill Paxton was in that movie. I love Chet. Bill Paxton was fantastic. So he was actually considered or offered the role of the parking lot attendant, the valet. He was literally offered that role. And he turned it down because it was like it was a little too small. But he says he re- he now regrets it because John Hughes never offered him another movie after that. Like it was that one. So he does regret it. But here, I, I'm really blown away at John Hughes. I'm going to go through a list of the, not just the one he directed, but directed or wrote, written. Because writing, he's really good at writing. So Trains, Planes, and Automobiles, The Breakfast Club, obviously Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Weird Science, um, Beethoven, Home Alone 1, 2, 3, and 4. You have um, uh, another one. Let's see. A bunch of them I, I don't really recall very well. Um, oh, Flubber. 101 Dalmatians. Miracle on 34th Street. I guess it's a remake. Um, like I said, Home Alone. Dennis the Menace. Uh, those are the main. Oh, Curly Sue. Dutch. Oper- uh, career Opportunities. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uncle Buck. Great Outdoors. Um, yeah, I mean. Talk about a writer. Pretty in Pink, he wrote that. I mean, dude is brilliant. Mr. Mom, uh, 16 Candles, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, the first one. Um, like I said, Mr. Mom. My goodness, he is such a storyteller. And er- almost every single one of those that I mentioned in its right own right did so well. Like are really, really good stories that people want to watch over again. My kids still watch home alone. They love watching home alone and Beethoven. Yeah. They still watch that stuff. So I'm really impressed with John Hughes. Yeah. So am I, I mean, you reading that list, I didn't realize he was so prolific like that, but yeah, through the eighties and nineties, I mean, the, the guy knew his stuff and I guess he passed away at some point late nineties. I think I heard. I did. I didn't see that, but he, uh, hmm. it's so too bad, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant um, mind for telling yeah. stories through movie. For sure. So a lot of other things that I think about um, going through this entire movie, I think of um, even just like a Rottweiler. I saw the Rottweiler. I'm like, hey, I have a Rottweiler. I literally have a Rottweiler now, which, you know, it's so fun. It's like, oh, that looks like Lacey, but much bigger mm-hmm. and much meaner. I wouldn't doubt that they actually did something to help make the dog look more mean, like make his lips go up higher to show his teeth and all that sort of stuff. That yeah. was so much fun. Um, I really, really enjoyed the interplay between Matthew Broderick and, oh, shoot, uh, what's Cameron? I don't know his name. I could probably look it up. But anyways, Alan Rick. Alan Rick. Or Ruck. But, Ruck. Ruck. You know what's crazy is Matthew Broderick was 23 years old playing a high schooler, which, okay, that's not that far off. Alan Ruck was 29 years old <laughs> making this movie. Well, and they what, did it forever in Beverly Hills, you know. They did. And you know what's funny is Alan Ruck, he said that, he actually felt a little somewhat uncomfortable playing a high schooler being 29 years old, but he thought, okay, I'm uncomfortable now playing a high, a high schooler, but I was super uncomfortable as a high schooler. So I'm pretty sure I could do a good job. You know, he's like, maybe things have changed. No, it's probably the same. So I should be okay. <laughs> yeah. He was great, man. I loved him in this role. And every, you know, every time you see him in a movie after this is like the first time I remember seeing him after this was in Speed quite a few years later. He was automatically, hey, there's Cameron from Ferris Bueller's. Every time you see him, you think of Ferris Bueller's. Like, that's like, you know, if you see anybody in Gilligan's Island, you automatically think that's the skipper. That's uh, Gilligan. You know what I mean? Uh, Same thing for Alan Ruck, I think. Absolutely. And also Mia Sarah, who played Salone, she Mm -hmm. was actually, they were 
John Hughes was looking for somebody a little older, a little more mature and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, Jennifer Grey, who played um, uh, Ferris Bueller's sister? Jeannie. Jeannie. Um, she actually tried, she wanted that part to be the the uh, Salone. But John Hughes says, no, that's too small of a part for you. You need to be Jeannie and this will be better for you, which she she was a big part. Salone's a big part, but you also remember Jeannie because she's such a... Um, loud character such a such a big part of the story Salone's just along the ride Jeannie has her own story arc which is really really fun but uh yeah. Salone or uh Mia she was 18 years old and they were looking for somebody a little older a little more mature that could they could feel more mature and she went in there and inter- uh, interviewed or you know what is it tried out for the the part and she blew him away and said, hey, you're perfect for it. How old are you? Like, well, we're eight, I'm 18. And so she was literally 18, but they were looking for like a 25-year-old, and she fit mm. really well being 18. So she's literally perfect age for it, which was great. But here's what's really in- interesting. So um, Jennifer Gray, the um, uh, sister, Jeannie, and Matthew Broderick actually got engaged. They were actually literally engaged. They were engaged, but here's what actually really happened. I I, I'm now again, I'm reading on IMDb and you know, if you read on the internet, it's absolutely true. So this has to be true. Um, I'm joking by the way. So Matthew Broderick, it says Matthew Broderick and Jennifer gray were engaged and they were driving in Ireland and they got into a horrible car accident. That's why she looks totally different today. Like the plastic surgery and everything. Like if you look at pictures of her now, nothing like what she like, looks like a totally different person, but sadly, in the car accident that they were driving, somebody or the other people that were, you know, obviously from Ireland, um, somebody died. So it was really, really sad. Um, but you look at Jennifer Grey now, she literally doesn't look anything like Dirty Dancing, you know, Jennifer Grey or this movie, Jennifer Grey looks totally different, which is, I think I would say that doesn't help your career when you look totally different than you, what you did. And also, actually, right now, speaking of engagement, she's married to Clark Gregg, who plays Agent Coulson in the Avengers movies and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too. Interesting. Had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, so going through and seeing all the different actors in this movie, you you don't see, you see a good amount of ones that you, you remember. And one that I always remember is the principal. What was his name again? Dean Rooney. Uh, Dean Rooney. Yeah, Dean Rooney. So, like, he plays the jerk. He does a great job. Just like, maybe it's Redheads. But if you think of the guy, uh, I can't remember his name, in um, uh, uh, Die Hard, the, the, the anchor in Die Hard, the redhead that was, you know, interviewing the kids and, you know, she punches him in the face and he he's like, I'm totally fine with playing the jerk. Like, that's just, yeah. I know I'm good at playing that. So he's mm-hmm. good at that. Um, this guy also does a fantastic job. Like, he is great, great, great at being this jerk that you're like, man, I just hope, uh, Jeffrey Jones for Ed Rooney. Um, I just hope that he, like, something bad happens to him. And every single step of the way, it happens. But in a lot of movies, he plays the same type of irritating character, and he does a really good job at it. Yeah, there's something about it. You just see his face on the screen, the way he's acting and talking. You just love to hate him. And so he's always great in movies. Wasn't he the bad guy in Howard the Duck as well? He was. <laughs> and he became an alien or he was an alien or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. or he had an alien come down. I can't remember. Howard the Duck. That was a yeah. that was a funny one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we'll ever cover that. I don't know how well that holds up as a fun movie to watch, you know? It was yeah. when we were kids. We watched it quite a few times. Now, I don't know if it's going to hold up any water. Like, you, we tried to go back and watch The Rocketeer. 
and I got I I turned it off like halfway through. I was like, oh man, I can't. Yeah, we I loved suffered it growing the up. whole thing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But some movies that we're looking back now, we're like, man, we loved them when we were growing up. But now it's like, oh, uh, I don't want to watch yeah. it again. And so Ferris Bueller's is one of those rare ones that totally holds up, totally worth sticking uh, and you know watching again uh, for sure. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of other movies that don't hold up water. I think Howard the Duck would definitely not like yeah. just thinking back now, walking through it. I'm just like, I bet that's a horrible movie now. I bet it is too. Yeah. Um, one thing I loved about this movie was all the fourth wall breaking. It's all Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick the whole time. But I, I just love it when movies, when characters in the movie talks to the audience, it makes the movie feel much more fresh and alive for me. It's like, you know, this guy's talking to me and I'm sharing in his adventure, his story with him. You know, I always appreciate that in movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's rather fun because the whole time you're being taken on a story, you're taking like, Hey, you're here with me. Um, so that is really, really fun. And you also, Ed Rooney, um, uh, Jeffrey Jones, he also looks in the camera a couple of times and kind of like, yeah, he does. You know, you're right. Yeah. You could say like, uh, I, 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 as he was following the arc of Ed Rooney, um, Jeffrey Jones's character, Following that story arc is just, that's the cringeworthy. Like you need that cringeworthy, the funny, like, oh, what's going to happen next in this storyline? And without that, I'm trying to think of the movie without the Ed Rooney. It would not be nearly as fun if it did not have Ed Rooney. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. Most movies need some kind of antagonist um, uh, that's, you know, battling against even like unwittingly battling or I'm sorry, unknowingly battling like they're not they don't know that Rooney's doing all this stuff to trying to catch him but he's kind of planned for it he set up stuff in his house uh the doorbell the snoring all that stuff to deal with those problems you know um so even though he doesn't know Rooney's doing it it's fun for us as an audience seeing what's happening thinking that Ferris could get caught what's going to happen how is he going to get out of this even though he's not present to get out of it how is he going to get out of it you know I agree another thing came to my mind as I was watching the movie Looking at Matthew Broderick's room or Ferris Bueller's room and seeing how there's you can't see a bit of wall at all. No actual paint on walls because it's covered with other things. So, number one, John Hughes tried to recreate his own like what it looked like in his own um, his own bedroom growing up, which is you know really, really fun. My question is. Do you let your kids, your boys uh, like hang up whatever they want all over the entire room and just um, have at it? I would if they wanted to, but they never had you and I growing up. I can't remember about you, but I want often go to comic book stores and I'd buy posters and I would put comic books up on my walls. My boys never have a desire to go buy anything to put up on their walls, you know, so I would let them, but they don't really want to. I same here. Like our kid, my kids say, Hey, can we hang this up? I'd be like a family picture or something. Um, like, yeah, we can hang it up. And so I wonder if there's ever going to be they a time want to hang I'm- up family pictures. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my kids. They're fun. That's just how they are. So, I mean, for me, it was all Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Spider-Man on the wall. Well, I don't know if, if we bought it or mom and dad bought it too. That could be it. Like we could have gotten presents. Like here's a poster or something like that. I don't completely remember how that worked out, but I remember hanging things up all over the place. Like literally all the wall was, was covered and stuff. I know for me, I'm just, I'm such a minimal, not minimalist. That's not the right word to say. 
I just don't like clutter and that type of stuff. Like if you look at my room, it's just a couple pictures here and there, but I literally don't have anything else. And I guess I probably grew out of that because growing up, your room is like your castle. Like that's the one place that you could do whatever you want, not whatever, but like you can make it be your own. And so more than likely when they, as the kids get older, we're going to let them, you know, put things on the wall right now. I just don't want them to get the hammer and be king, king. (laughs) You made a hole in the drywall. Come on, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I gotcha. Well, that's why you just give them a box of thumbtacks. You can't make big holes with thumbtacks, you know? Yes, you absolutely, you can't. Thinking of, I want to talk about the parade scene because that was a big, a big scene in the movie. Like that's, that's like the climax. It almost seems like is the big climax at the very end with the, the parade scene. Like this is a culmination of the entire day. And then everything else was downhill from there. Um, one big thought was before we get into the parade scene, um, they packed in so much in that one day that it was just like, I don't know how they got that. Even a baseball game. Like they packed in a lot of stuff, which is great. That's why it's his day off. But, um, what do you think about the parade scene? And like, what are your thoughts? Like, how would you get on the float to do that? Number one and just everything about it. Um, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fun. I looked it up online cause I was thinking on a school day, a giant parade, tons of kids, what's going on. It's supposedly Von Steuben day and they do these parades third Saturday of every September throughout the country and stuff. And this is the one in Chicago and they just decided to hold it you know, on a weekday for the movie, of course. Um, so it was a ton of fun. And he's a sweet talker. He's a smart guy. He's got a big smile on his face. He could talk his way onto any float, I think, especially with all those ladies on it. Um, he just, you know, this is what I want to do. And they're going to say yes. And maybe they even know, maybe they heard about Ferris. And he just says, I'm Ferris Bueller. I'm sick. I'm feeling better. I want to share something with the world. I don't know. That's, that's a good point. It very, very well, you had the police, uh, you know, people, the police office, uh, the cops saying, Hey, tell them we're pulling through for him. Like we're, we're really, <laughs> yep. he's like the MacGyver of getting people to do things that he wants them to do. Yep. Absolutely. He, he's, he'll make sure he gets it done. Um, yep. yeah, I, I remember reading that too, that this was a parade that they piggybacked up off of and it worked out really well. Cause I was like, dude, that's a lot of extras. Oh my goodness. But no, it was literally a parade that they had and people showed up and mm-hmm. watching that scene. Apparently Matthew Broderick was really scared, not scared. Like I'm afraid to do it. Just nervous because yeah. a lot of dancing, a lot of choreography. You're literally in a parade. You got to do it right. Hopefully one take, maybe two at most, but um, yeah, really, really fun with that parade. And you have the, you just come off of a couple other things. So the parade was great, but I also want to bring up, there's a lull in the movie. Now, it's a somewhat of a good lull because it's so much going on, so many changes, so many this, so many that, that they go to this museum and you don't see them for maybe at least 30 seconds, maybe a minute, because it shows paintings, paintings, paintings. And it has this really lull type of music trying to bring the story down. And then you have them kind of, you know, in the pictures. What do you think about that whole scene in the museum? Because it really kind of throws everything off. Yeah, uh, I just I enjoy it. You know, I know it does throw off the tempo or brings things down, like you said, but I just enjoy that part because right after that, you ramp it up with a really big, fun, musical outdoor parade scene. So I think it was a a nice fitting touch right there instead of going high, like everything is high action's not the right. We're just high tempo the whole time. Bam, bam, excited, excitement, excitement. We're doing this. We're bringing it down makes a lot of sense, you know, for the tempo of the movie. I completely agree. And they didn't do it too long. Like it wasn't so overwhelmingly down. They just helped you just, just to relax just a little bit, just to be kind of like, huh? Okay. Let me just, let me just take it down a notch. And then 
you have the the parade scene. I mean, that that was yeah. like the culmination of everything. And then it picks it right back up. It gets the emotions. And you think about storytelling, you have people go through emotions as you're going through the story. They themselves, the watchers or readers or listeners or whatever, they go through these emotional moves and these ups and downs. And that's how you get them to really gravitate towards what you're like or enjoy what you're giving them. And so I thought, you know, when I first... I never really thought about the storytelling, but as I'm getting older with everything with, you know, uh, everything I'm doing online, teaching people and all that stuff, how to re- do rental properties, but have to tell story to get people to get interested and all that sort of stuff. I, I grabbed onto that for some reason. I was like, oh, wow. Like here's a lull in the movie, but it really helps drive home the dancing and the fun in the parade. Yeah, that's cool. That's something new that you notice. Oftentimes, I don't really notice those kind of like beats in the storytelling. I just kind of I'm sitting there for the ride the whole time and I'm a part of it. But it makes sense. I I like the fact that watching it this time, you picked up on that and noticed it. Um, One thing that I noticed this time, I never noticed before. You have during the parade scene, the Donka Shane song, right? He sings it. And I didn't realize it earlier in the movie, he's like humming Don Shane in his bedroom. And then later on, what is it? Rooney outside of Ferris's home is saying Don Shane as well. And then you have the Don Shane song uh, during the parade. And at the end, after she, I think after Jeannie kisses Charlie Sheen, she's Going down singing the stairs. it as well. Yeah. So you have four different times. You have the same exact thing. And I don't know if you call that callbacks or coming back to something or bookends or whatever, but I like it when they bring one thing back multiple times throughout movies. And I enjoyed that with this one for the first time I've ever noticed it. Yes. I, 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 cause you, you get it through the movie. You know, the first time you watch it, you'll see, you'll hear it, you'll hear it. But then when you, as you watch it so many times, you start picking up on different things like that the nuances that really make the movie really good. And that's a great nuance that makes a movie really good. Or this movie really good is that, that it carried through the entire thing. And if everybody like not to say everybody, many, many different people were actually either saying that or being a part of it. And it's like, Oh, you know, it helps tie everything. Go puts a nice big bow on everything and said, here you go and presents it to you. So I wanted to, I probably one of the best lines that I love in this movie outside of life moving pretty fast. Cause that's great. But it actually comes from Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen's character, it's not like drugs. <laughs> it's not that one. But when he says, your problem is you. Like, whoa, my goodness. Like, that's like a left jab. Like, just right out of nowhere. Your problem's you. She's like, excuse me? It's like, wow, absolutely. When you think about allowing somebody else to affect you so much that you get changed because of that, your problem's you. And so give me, give me an idea. Let's say you write a book and you write a book and I would say 95% of the population, maybe 90%, we'll give it a little lower, lower grade. 90% of the population love it. They say, man, this is a great book or even 80%. We'll give them benefit of the doubt. 80% of the people really love it or enjoy it or don't hate it. But then there's 20% that hate it or that really don't like it or whatever. And they, you get 80% giving you four or five stars, 20% giving you one or two stars. Well, it's the same book. It's the same book that everybody's reading. What's changed? It's the person that's changed. The person may be in a different position, different life story, different everything, and they're reading it through a different lens and they, they hate it. Well, the only thing that's changed is the person. So going back to what Charlie Sheen said, your problem's you. That's literally the problem because you're allowing him to change you. So yeah, I think Jeannie needs somebody strong and just, just straightforward telling her that, hey, this is the way it is. What do you think? 
I agree with you 100%. That's a really good life lesson. I love that line. And I wrote down actually what Charlie Sheen said. He said, you ought to spend a little more time dealing with yourself, a little less time worrying about what your brother does. And that's totally the way it is, right? Just keep your mind in your own business. What they do, sure, it might affect you in some way, but everything that Ferris is doing has nothing to do with her. The way people respond to Ferris as opposed to her has nothing to do with her. Like he deserves how he's being treated by everyone. Everyone seems to love him. People don't seem to like you so much. It's probably your own fault, right? And so she needs to, like you said, put her, keep her mind in her own business or uh, keep her nose out of everybody else's business, I guess you could say. That's that's one of my life lessons. Yeah, no, that, that's great. So let's go into the life lessons. I know you've already brought up a few. Definitely my first one was life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And which is sad. We only get this one life with this one time. And the most expensive thing you could ever spend is your life. And the culmination of your life is the time is, is time going into your entire life. So the most expensive thing you could spend is your time. If you're going to be working 40 hours a week for 40 years and then retire on 40% of your income, you got, if you, if that's okay with you, then, Hey, that's totally fine. You, there are plenty of people that's, that's great for me. I was like, you know what? Life moves pretty fast. I want to be able to stop and look around once in a while. For sure. For sure. I love that lesson. And my second lesson is you have to learn to say, to say no, to stay sane in life. I mean, I'm happy that Cameron couldn't say no to anything that Ferris wanted him to do today. Cause we got the movie. We got a great story, but seriously, I mean, the guy wants to take your dad's what, however, you know, hundred thousand dollar car, whatever is out for a drive. No, just say no. Like this could lead to the biggest hassle ever in your life and anything you want to do. Like, um, if it doesn't make you happy and if it doesn't make you money, just say no to it for the most part, right? Sometimes you have to do things. You have to go to, I don't know, whatever. But for the most part, if you can get out of something that you don't want to do, get out of it. Say no. And so part of me was thinking, how in the world did Ferris Bueller get Cameron to go along with getting the car out of the... But I started thinking, okay, as I'm playing out the scene, Ferris Bueller is... Cameron's opening the door and showing, and he's like... He's not even thinking Ferris Bueller is going to take the car for a ride. So he didn't even talk about, hey, let's go take your, like, remember, the, the, um, I need you to do me a favor or something like that. That was after the phone call with Ed Rooney and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I need you to do something for me, you know, to make up for it. And so it probably was something like this. Can we just, you know, I, I, I haven't seen your dad's car in a while. Can we just take a look at your car, your dad's car? Like, it looks awesome. I just want to take a look at it. Something like that. And then he's opening the door. He's all, you know, telling all about it, telling all about it. And you just see Ferris Bueller just keep walking, just keep walking and then get, and he's like, no, no, what are are you doing? (laughs) So he was not even ready for Ferris Bueller to take the car. Yep. Yep. And I think subconsciously he wanted to take it out himself. He's probably been wanting to drive it and ride it for his whole life. Now he has somebody pressuring him, that peer pressure that's hard to say no to. It was his chance to finally cave in and say, okay, fine. You made me do it. And that's what he said. You made me do this, made me do that. No, you were the one who picked up the phone and called uh, Mr. Rooney and, and you're the one who allowed him to take the car. You know, he just, he needed somebody to blame maybe in case things went wrong, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. I, th- uh, okay. So my next lesson is that, and Ferris Bueller says this, cause I think Cameron says, Hey, you're taking this too far. And Ferris Bueller turns to the camera and says, a or one, you can never take things too far. I'm like, huh, that might be a good life lesson. You can never take something too far. And I'm looking back, well, it worked out for Ferris Bueller, so let me try it out. So everything that I, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> everything that I do, I try to take it as far as I can, not like deceiving people and being all that. But I just think, hey, you can never take it too far until it's too far. Then once it's too far, then you realize it. So you can never take anything too far. I don't know if that's a good life lesson, but something that I probably learned way back when I was younger, and that's where I'm at today. 
Well, aggression wins in life. You know, if you're playing on the football field, the team that's more aggressive beats up the other team as the one that's going to score more points or stop them from scoring. You know, aggression wins in poker, of course, when you're just calling bets, you don't, you don't, they're not going to fold to you. You're just hoping to win at the end. Like in general, aggression wins for sure. So I think that's a good life lesson right there. At least awesome. one to put to the test, maybe not 100% of the time. You got to be judicious in your use of that aggression. But yeah, I agree with you there. Good lesson. Um, Sweet. My third lesson is know your audience, right? When you're trying to convince, when you're trying to teach people, you're trying to convince them something, you've got to speak in their language. And when you're a 60 year old dude trying to teach high schoolers history, you've got to somehow make it fun, right? So those teachers were just totally screwing up. Their message wasn't getting by. Those people were just sitting there bored out of their mind, doing their the least possible to pass the test to get out of school. So out of all those kids, if you can remember back all the different pictures of the kids doing what they were doing, like one was doodling, one was this, they were popping their gum, one was just looking bored, one was looking mean or upset or mad. Which one would you, which one do you think you would be? The guy drooling on his desk, but I would be I would be drooling on myself right here, not with the head down. I'd be trying to hide the fact that I'm sleepy. So I'm the same person. And literally it happened to me where it wasn't that. So there was, I specifically remember, I think it was biology. I was so bored. Lights were down or something. And so I put my head down and had my face, like my, just my forehead on the desk with my hands like this. And I just had my forehead on the desk like this. And I fell asleep. And then I woke up and I was literally, there was a puddle of drool <laughs> on the ground because my mouth was open and my face was just straight down. And the guy sitting there, my table mate or whatever, said, dude, you're drooling. I'm like, oh, that was a good nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally worth it. Totally worth it. So my next lesson or the last lesson is, well, I'll preface it. It's so tragic to see Cameron's parents and what the, the parents were doing to each other as well as to Cameron, like literally horrible. So you see Cameron over and over again saying, you love a car. You don't love your wife. You don't love your kid. You don't love, you love a car. So never love any possessions. Possessions come and go. Like literally Cameron destroyed the, your, your favorite possession. Now what do you have? You have nothing. So never love a possession. Love the people around you. For sure. Love that life lesson. That's a perfect one to end this on. Uh, so let's see anything else that we failed to mention. Oh, Kind of a tough one. No, not a tough one. It was actually really easy, but we'll probably choose the same thing. What is your prop from this movie? Well, it. I mean, the only thing that's really, I, oh, there are many things that are iconic, but I could absolutely think of the the car. I mean, just the, the 1961 Ferrari California or whatever it was. That thing was beautiful. Even the, the replica. I'd take one of those replicas. That thing is sure. amazing. If I had literally $10 million, I might buy one of those. Like I would probably, it might be really expensive, but I, I'm not a big car person, but that thing was beautiful. Yeah, I agree with you. That's my prop as well. Um, probably your grade is an A or an A plus. Mine's an A for sure. A plus. Mm. Absolutely. I think a, plus. a plus as well, actually. Yeah. What was, what well, we, we kind of touched on, so your favorite scene was the, um, the beating up the Ferrari and coming to the realization that it's time for him to stand up for himself and confront his father. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I, I think that's probably close to my favorite scene. Um, prop also, I also think of the opening, not necessarily monologue, but when he's like getting ready, getting dressed, calling up camera and saying, no, you're not dying and all that sort of stuff. That's really fun for me. I really enjoyed that. But man, the entire movie was great. So it's absolutely an A plus for me. Cool. 
Cool. I give it an A plus as well. So, uh, Dust, let's see here. I think we've already kind of off air chosen our next movie, right? Uh, we're going to be doing Top Secret. Are you looking forward to it? I am so looking forward to Top Secret. Let's let's do this. And Val Kilmer is amazing. So absolutely, let's, let's do Top Secret. For sure, man. And I already looked it up. I don't own the movie, so I'm going to have to rent it on uh, Amazon for $2.99. But no big deal. Three bucks to watch Top Secret. I haven't seen it for many years, but I imagine it's going to hold up. I mean, it's probably going to be just as funny in rewatching as Airplane, as Naked Gun, as, as Spaceballs is, you know? And you have Val Kilmer. I mean, you can't really go wrong. I mean, other than you have, um, you know, the Batman was kind of a little rough, but outside of that, uh, Val Kilmer's, I mean, I, I, I eventually, we need to do Tombstone. That's another movie, Val Kilmer movie. Well, you would just do a whole Val Kilmer series. Let's do Val <laughs> We could, but, um, we could. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to top secret. Yep, for sure. And then of course, next, I guess you said Val Kilmer series. I guess we got to do real genius. <laughs> we should real genius that's yeah, a good we one should. we'll do that at some point for sure well everybody thank you so much for listening if you're watching on youtube thanks for those eyeballs we appreciate them and uh, if you would like to let us know your own life lessons your own monday morning quarterback the prop that you would take away just go to the show notes page watch and learn podcast.com slash pod 93 and leave a comment right there all righty once again my name was sky and i'm dusty and we will return next week with top secret <laughs>